Enjoy the convenience of seven days a week banking and extended hours with Cube from First Arkansas Bank and Trust, member FDIC. Connor O'Gara of Saturday Down South. And Connor, as always, appreciate you joining us and hope you don't mind us uh, preluding you with a little Taylor Swift talk today. I would expect nothing else. I am. Uh, I don't think I can officially say I'm a hardcore Swiftie, as I have not seen her in concert. Though my wife definitely was part of the Capital One brigade that got left out uh, in the cold, so to speak. But yeah, I am a Taylor Swift apologist. I'll definitely say that. Wait, hold on. What was the Capital One fiasco? Remind me of what that was. There was supposed to be like a pre-entry if you had like a Capital One card, and like you were supposed to be able to get into like a a special early entrance to get tickets and then it ended up like not really lining up the way that they had originally thought. I think something through Ticketmaster was messed up. And so it was pretty disappointing because it was one of those things where it was like, man, we haven't looked to go to a concert in a long time. And that one in Tampa would have been ideal, but you know what? We, we survived, we made it through and we just watch videos all the time. So when you say Taylor Swift apologist, what does that actually mean? <laughs> If you're going to say anything negative, I'm going to defend her. If you say, <laughs> like, if you tell me, just I'm a KJ, I'm a KJ defender through and through. If you say anything negative about KJ, I'm going to come after you. Whether you're David Pollock or random person on Twitter with 12 followers, I'm going to defend KJ. And look, I will defend T Swift to the ends of the earth. I think that there are very few people that can understand how to be a voice of a generation. And I think she has taken that and absolutely run with it and has not just been a country star who decided to go pop in the way that many have, but has been able to speak to people in a way that I think very few people can. And her musical talent with songwriting, and I know she gets help now, but I just think it's second to none. And, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan. Hey, Connor, I'm going to step back for a few minutes, and you and John can go at it. Because yeah. he does not like <laughs> Taylor Swift at all. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I like the whole, like, written article that you just gave us. Forget Saturday Down South. You can start writing Taylor Swift Wikipedia for that, if that's the case, the way you just went off on that. So, so I have an idea for one day when I eventually, and, like, I, that time has probably passed me because, like, I was on paternity leave a few weeks ago, or a few months ago, rather, and, and, and it didn't happen then. So it's probably not going to happen at this stage of my life as I approach my mid-30s. But I have an idea for a TikTok channel called Y'all Said What, wherein I break down country music lyrics, and I actually just break down how ridiculous they are. And I'm a country music fan, but like some of the things, I would break down George Strait's run, and, and I would go crazy in depth about the, the premise that, that's associated. Heads Carolina, Tales California. Like I, I would go really into the weeds on some country music lyrics and probably some T-Swift would come up. Okay. Well, <laughs> well, well <laughs> nice. hey, listen, you got, you got an alternate job if uh, college football writing never works out for you. You got uh, something to fall back on at least. But, I mean, listen, there is uh, some intrigue, and I know something that people are a lot more fascinated in than Taylor Swift with college football and especially the SEC coming up this weekend. So I'm curious to hear your opinion on this one, Connor. We'll start with this. Which game do you find more intriguing when Tennessee going to Florida because they haven't beaten Florida, I think, since 2003 there in the Swamp, or the LSU-Mississippi State game where LSU is going into Starkville to try to bounce back after that tough loss two weeks ago to Florida State and try to regain their dominance as being that SEC West title team that they're trying to be? I I would say Tennessee-Florida gets a slight edge just because there's a little bit more intrigue with both teams. Nobody's talking about Mississippi State. Like, it's it's kind of weird because think about this: if you took any other team in college football, or really any other team in the SEC, and you said, "Hey, this team 
finished in the top 25 with nine wins last year. They won their bowl game. They returned one of the most prolific quarterbacks in SEC history. And you, you just said, like, oh, by the way, that team is going to be picked to finish last in the division. You're like, wait a minute, what? Like, what, what, what are we talking about here? But it's because of the transition from Mike Leach, obviously, to Zach Arnett, that I think there's a lot of skepticism seeing some of the, the early signs of this passing offense, which is in for a total transformation. People are kind of quiet on Mississippi State. So I, I would say that there's more intrigue probably in Tennessee, Florida, because of the aforementioned drought that you're talking about. Tennessee just can't win in the swamp. They, they just cannot win there. And they've had advantages in years past, and it's just for whatever reason college football gods have said, nope, we're going to let Felipe Franks throw a, a Hail Mary in the final second here for a walk-off winner for Florida. It's just something random happens like that. And you wonder this year with Tennessee as a touchdown favorite on the road with Florida and coming off of, you know, what are they, four and eight against Power 5 competition under Billy Napier and, and really has not – has not done anything against Power 5 competition basically since that Utah game that made you feel like, whoa, this team has really figured it out. So, yeah, I, I wonder about where exactly both of these teams are going to be at. Cause Tennessee's been pretty underwhelming, I think, to start the year. It looks okay against Virginia, but the passing game is what we have a lot of questions about. So, yeah, I think that game is loaded with intrigue. A couple of other games. Of course, Arkansas hosting BYU, but Missouri is hosting number 15 Kansas State coming in. So that's one that – people will probably be on the lookout for just to kind of see where Missouri stands at this point, playing a team that's ranked that high in Kansas state. This is, this game is so weird because of that line, that line uh, is Kansas state is a four point favorite. When last year, they, by the way, won the big 12 beat TCU in that awesome conference championship game. They destroyed the zoo. It's a team that returns basically a starting quarterback in Will Howard. I know they lose too small, but still loaded with experience on that offensive line. And Chris Kleiman is just a darn good football coach. And I'm like wondering, wait, Mizzou had barely closed out Middle Tennessee. They've been really disappointing, I think, to start off the year. And it's been Luther Burden and nothing else on offense. And so I'm wondering, why in the world is Kansas State only a four-point favorite on the road in Columbia? That's one that like, I'm, I blindly kind of picked Kansas State to win by two touchdowns, and I'm feeling like the odds makers know something that I don't. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think Mizzou is one of those teams that, like, gosh, if they don't improve with this roster, a roster that was second in Bill Connolly's final percentage of returning production rankings that came out in August, like, if they don't improve with this roster, I just don't think it's ever going to happen for Eli Drinkwitz. And, and I think that there will be a lot of people wondering, if they can get a big-time win. If Mizzou wins this game, it's the best win for an SEC team so far this year, which is a crazy thought. So speaking about uh, Arkansas and BYU, it, it's an interesting game for Razorback fans because they look at it as, hey, hasn't looked stellar so far, but if they lose this game, they got four straight ones they could lose too, and then they could be staring at two and five when it's all said and done. Now, how important is it for Arkansas to take care of business and win this game and it's a high-scoring affair last season. Do you feel like it could be that again this season in Fayetteville? I don't think it's going to turn into the track meet that we saw last year. I, I don't. And maybe maybe it will. Um, I think these defenses are, are going to be better. I, I do. And I think, you know, part of it with, with Arkansas is you want to see the ground game improve, and you don't want to feel like everything is just on KJ's shoulders. And the defense has played well so far, and I don't want to take credit away. But at the same time, you're looking at the competition, you're trying to figure out, all right, what, what exactly is that worth at this part of the season, given who they've played? And, and I think that you, if you're an Arkansas fan, the two boxes that would just be fantastic to check in this game. See the ground game look really good without Rocket. See, see, this, see this group up front kind of grow up. 
these questions that you talked about a lot in the offseason that, that Sam Pittman was referencing on the offensive line, see those issues sort of put on the back burner at least for a day. And then, obviously, you would love to be able to see them win this game convincingly. And so, like, okay, this is a team that's going to be able to keep its head above water in the SEC West. Because you're right, it's only going to get tougher after this point. It, it is. And, and I think that there is a fear that if it's all about, oh, man, the defense looks bad. Oh, man, the, the ground game is an issue. How much pressure can you put on KJ? That, that's what it all comes down to. He's so valuable for this team moving forward, obviously. And you don't want to have it feel like he needs to put on his cape every single week. You mentioned Arkansas winning the game convincingly. If they are going to do that, what does it take? What do they have to do to make sure that they are able to win the game convincingly? I think it's establish the ground game and not have to get KJ involved with it. I mean, if if they're doing that, to me, that shows that Arkansas is not a dogfight. You know, like that. If they're able to actually get some of these, like okay, it's, it's third and manageable, and they're they're staying ahead of schedule. That that to me is going to set the tempo, and then then you can start to open things up in the passing game as well. And then you're going to get those big bodied receivers involved and, and get Isaac Tesla involved and and, and be able to, to kind of stretch the field in the way that Danny knows offense. Uh, really relies is relied upon it and I think that you're going to look to see some of these things from the Arkansas offense that look you want to see it early you want to see that that group explode in a way that they didn't really last week yeah maybe part of it is a basic game plan because it's Kent State but at the same time you know it's it's now considered a power five opponent in BYU and you want to be able to put it on them I think that atmosphere is going to be great I think Arkansas fans are you know, looking forward to this one after what's been, you know, a really slow start in terms of competition after the way that they started off last year with the bang. So I think that, that seeing that atmosphere, seeing the ground game get after it, seeing the offensive line take some strides, that's the, the path to a convincing Arkansas win. Speaking with Connor Aguirre of Saturday Down South here on Out of Bounds. And, Connor, you know, we went through a few of the games this weekend, too, and the SEC has kind of taken some criticisms, I would say, just, oh, they're not looking so good because you've had these big matchups or bigger matchups where the teams have lost, whether it's Alabama losing to Texas. You think about South Carolina losing to North Carolina, Miss uh, LSU losing to Florida State. People are pretty down on the SEC, or at least compared to what they normally are. Do you see that being the case where the SEC in, as a whole is down and it isn't a, a great conference like it has been in previous years, or is it just still really too early to tell? It's not as deep as it's been in previous years. And I'm usually not the person that's going to rush the judgment, but I, I don't think that this this year is a sign that, oh, the SEC is falling off the face of the earth. I, I think it's a little bit reminiscent of 2016. If you go back to that season, it's one elite team in the SEC, and then everyone else was kind of disappointing at the top. You know, you had Alabama going to a national championship that year and losing to Clemson, obviously, but it was, oh, LSU loses in the season opener against Wisconsin at Lambeau. Oh, Auburn's disappointing. Oh, A&M, eh, they fall on, the, on their face after, you know, the first half of the season. Like, this, this, the SEC just did not have the depth that many were expecting to that year. And you can look at the, the East champ, and it was just kind of dismal. And you look up at the end of the season, and every non-Alabama team had four losses. So could this year be that? I think that's possible, with Georgia being a team that maybe gets to a national championship, and then everybody else, like, yeah, three or four losses. Like, what's going to move the needle for the SEC in non-conference play with those losses already stacked up on the resume? Like, that, to me, is, is where I would say, yes, it's going to be a disappointing season for the SEC. It doesn't mean that this is just forever and this is the way that it's going to go into the new era of college football. But, yeah, I think it's just been a really bad start, and it's a sign that the SEC doesn't have the depth that maybe it's had in years past. What's the pecking order after Georgia? Georgia is the top team in the conference, and then where does it go from there? 
your guys is as good as mine. Hmm. Uh, no idea. Look, Tennessee. Like, if Tennessee wins at Florida, yeah. I mean, I, I give it to Tennessee at this point. I mean, I picked Bama to win the West, and I still think they had a decent shot to get there just because I'm not as high on LSU. Um, I had LSU losing three games this year. I, I love what I've seen from AM's offense so far, but defensively, I mean, DJ Durkin, they've been kind of a disaster. And I, I look at Ole Miss, and it's like, yeah, I mean, it was they have the best win of any SEC team so far, but it was still against the Tulane team, a group of five team with a backup quarterback. So what does that really say? And, and I, I don't necessarily think that we're about to pencil in Ole Miss to get to its first SEC championship team. So, I, I look, I, I think that that question is totally wide open. Tennessee probably has the best path to it at this point, but, like, I don't know, if LSU wins convincingly at Mississippi State or Tennessee wins convincingly at Florida, that'll probably be good enough for number two at this point. And also, just looking at it from uh, the first couple of weeks, you know, they always talked about certain quarterbacks that look great or certain running backs that look great uh, in, in the SEC. Like, who, who's the best player right now in, in the in the league? Because even, like, K.J. Jefferson doesn't have the numbers and the stats necessarily, or even a Judkins hasn't really had his stats. Rocket, we know, has been hurt. So, right now, like, who's the best player in the SEC? You know, I'll give you an off-the-wall answer that nobody is, Nobody would pick, and this is this won't be received well in a lot of places, I'm sure. Jaquavius Marks, who goes by Woody, running back in Mississippi State, has been phenomenal. That guy in that new scheme that Kevin Barbet is running, he has been lights out. Everything that they could have hoped for in that scheme, that guy has been everywhere all over the place. He and maybe Trey Harris, the old Miss receiver from Louisiana Tech, who actually got banged up in that game against Tulane, like, that guy has just been all over the place. Can't, can't stay with him on the field. Can't stay with him after he catches the football. Like, those two guys have just been insanely good. And James Pierce uh, for, for Tennessee is really coming into his own as an edge rusher. Guy's got three sacks already. He's really, really shown that he is every bit as, as worthy as, like, whatever five-star billing he came in with. Um, so I'd say those are kind of the three guys that come to mind. But you're right. There just hasn't been that, like, stud bonafide, like, lock it in guy. Connor Wigman's another one I think that has been off the charts good. I put him just behind KJ in my quarterback rankings if I had to do those right now. Looking at Georgia's offense this year, do you see any differences there? Stetson Bennett's gone, so got a new quarterback, but Todd Munkin, the offensive coordinator, they have a new offensive coordinator and uh, doing some different things. So do you see that maybe their offense looks a little bit different from what it looked the past couple of years? Yeah, I think so. I've been making that drum all offseason that Mike Bobo is not Todd Munkin. Georgia fans that are just of the belief that he's going to transform into Todd Munkin's mind and body and spirit are, are just crazy. Um, I, I think that they've seen these slow starts so far that Georgia's gotten off to, and the final score hasn't really indicated it. And they're kind of like, man, where's the where's the creativity? Why is it so difficult to get Brock Bowers in space? This guy's maybe one of the two best football players in the sport right now. Like, why is it so difficult to scheme him touches? And they haven't really seen it in the ground game that I think in the way that I think they were hoping to. Uh, but yeah, that's that's going to be the biggest question with this Georgia team moving forward. It's the reason why I don't have them becoming the first team to three peat since 1936 Minnesota. That's why I have them losing in a national championship game because I think offensively it's it's at some point going to come down to being able to scheme open guys against really really good competition. I think that's where Mike Bobo is going to fall short. Real quick, before I let you get out of here, Connor, is Colorado for real or not, or do you need to see more? For real, in the sense that, like, 8-4, and four, frisky, going to be able to hang with a whole lot of teams, yeah. For a team that's been to one bowl game in the last 15 years, 
that's that's for real. Like Dion is going to be in the national coach of the year conversation. There's no doubt about it. Their offense is fun as hell, man. Like Shadur Sanders, what he's doing, Travis Hunter being as my guy Josh Pate would say, the Shohei Atani of of college football has just been absolutely electric. Dylan Edwards as well. I think they're they're for real in that sense. If you have realistic expectations, which a lot of people are saying, like, I don't know, four or five, maybe six wins at best. Uh, I think they're going to blow that out of the water this year. I think they're more like an 8-4 team because the Pac-12 is loaded with good quarterbacks that will probably do some good things against that defense starting next week with Oregon when they have to play against Bo Nix. But, man, it's been fun to watch. They're the story of the year in college football so far. Well, Connor, as always, we appreciate it, man. Have a great weekend and watching all those games, and we look forward to catching up with you later down the road. And just remember, Taylor Swift sucks. <laughs> We're going to get into a T-Swift-JT argument at some point. But, yeah, we'll talk soon.